All right, welcome back to the show. We're excited to have you guys here today. You'll notice sitting next to me is not Kirsten Lucas. Uh, she was unavailable today. So filling in for her, we have Sarah Brady, Park Insurrectionist. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. It's always a pleasure when we have you on. Usually when we do, it's on the other side. True. And I've been being interrogated. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I this, can do the interrogating. Today. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you get to see what it's like. Yeah. So, well, perfect. Well, hey, um, I want to introduce our guest today. Today we have Perry Pinley joining us. He's the former acting director of the United States Bureau of Land Management. Perry, how are you? Doing great. The original BLM. Yeah, I think that's right. The original, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it goes back to the founding fathers when the founding fathers decided to sell all the land the government owned, um, and uh, they set up a land office that existed and eventually became the Bureau of Land Management. And sadly, with the summer of 2020, people discovered, and even early 2017, people discovered the um, Black Lives Matter movement and got totally confused. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you this. If I did say BLM, a lot of people would be confused. I like to think our audience, and I know our audience, is much more intelligent than that. And look, we're in the western states. Sure. We're located in Idaho. Right. We know what the Bureau of Land Management is. Oh, and absolutely. we know, you know, how they've locked up our land. So. Oh, absolutely. And uh, 99% of the 245 million acres that BLM is in charge of is in the western United States and, yeah. and Alaska. Yeah. 97% of the employees are here. And that's why, that's why under Trump, we moved the headquarters to Grand Junction. Because yeah. it's crazy to have people making decisions in Washington, D.C. You know, when the summer of 2020, we had a, a terrible uh, summer fire season. We were fighting both COVID and the fires. And uh, I was stationed in Grand Junction where the headquarters was. And so I'd got, you know, I'd get up in the morning, go out to my rig and I could smell it. I could see the clouds. I could see the ash on the ground. I drive by the churches and see the signs say, pray for our firefighters. I knew we were fighting fire. Yeah. We were fighting fire north of town. We were fighting fire out on uh, I-70 uh, throughout the West. And I guess I could have known that if I was in DC, uh, you know, I would have yeah. walked over uh, on E street to the, to the department and realized it, but it's different when you're here and you have to face people on the street and say, what are you doing about that fire? Yeah. You know, I actually, I've been saying the same thing about the border crisis that's happening in Texas. You know, I went down there, I covered it with rebel news. I was working as an independent journalist for them covering it when title 42 was set to expire. And then of course they extended it, but it's set to expire on the 11th, which is this Thursday, I believe. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like you can you can shout these things and and people understand like even in DC they understand what a fire does but seeing that fire up close and and what the impacts are oh, exactly changes the conversation. So I have an exciting announcement. Uh, I'm going to be taking uh, at least one senator and one member of the House uh, to, to El Paso oh, next week. Down to the border. Yep. Wow, I was just going to ask so, you where we're going to go if it's expiring. <laughs> Yeah, of course I have to, I have to cover that. So do, do they have reciprocity down there for your concealed carry permit? Yeah. So actually, here's <laughs> the beautiful question. thing. It is a good question. So in Texas, it's really weird. It's a different than a lot of states. It is. They had it to where you couldn't conceal carry, but you could open carry, and now they have constitutional carry. So we do have that reciprocity there, and I will be, of course, carry. So well, I, you know, one of the craziest thing I drove cross country several years ago, and I had a chart in my car, uh, both number one, what you tell to a trooper if you get pulled over, not for having mm -hmm. a weapon, but if you had a weapon, and number two, could you have the weapon, yeah, uh, uh, up there with you on your hip, and so uh, uh, it's always a question to ask, and I'm, I'm I'm so pleased with the Supreme Court that President Trump put together that we are getting good decisions from the court and we're seeing states uh, allow their citizens to do what the constitution has long mandated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I do want to dive into the sure. Bureau of Land Management and all that, but first I want our, our viewers and listeners, because we're on audio and video everywhere. And I mean, literally everywhere. Right. Um, I do want them to get a little bit more information about your background. Cause right. as I understand it, you know, President Trump isn't the first president you worked for, correct? <laughs> yeah, I, I worked for President Reagan. I, I was born and raised in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, my parents were both from the Appalachians. My dad was from the Ozarks um, in uh, in Arkansas. He was a railroader. Family was railroad were railroaders. 
Uh, my mother was from Harlan County, Kentucky, bloody Harlan, a coal mining country. Uh, she was a true daughter of a coal miner, fled, uh, essentially fled as a young girl. So I grew up in Cheyenne. I went to the George Washington University. I was in the Marine Corps. I went to law school in Laramie and then spent some time in Washington, D.C. I was on both sides of Capitol Hill, the House and Senate. And then when Reagan came to town, uh, I had an idea who should be as Secretary of the Interior. I recommended my old boss, Cliff Hansen of Wyoming. Uh, Cliff turned him down. <laughs> it was funny. I had a conversation with Senator Hansen. I said, he had retired. I said, Senator Hansen, would you be Ronald Reagan's Secretary of the Interior? And he hemmed and hawed, carried on. And, and finally, he said, uh, well, I don't think anyone could turn down the president. And so I had the president, through an intermediary, call Cliff Hansen and offer him the job, and Cliff turned him down. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently someone can turn down. And apparently so, he did. <laughs> but another friend of mine, Jim Watt, became Secretary of the Interior, and he hired me, and I worked for, I worked for Reagan. Uh, but then I was 30 years practicing law in Colorado. I, was in, I ran a thing called the Mountain States Legal Foundation. It was a, it's a nonprofit public interest law firm, and we litigate on behalf of people who are getting uh, hammered by the federal government. And so mm-hmm. uh, it, was, uh, it was a great thing to do for 30 years. And in fact, I took cases to the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, arguing in one cases there. And then eventually uh, I left uh, after about 30 years, and I got a call from Secretary Bernhardt, who was Secretary of the Interior, and he said, Harry, I'd like you to come back and run the Bureau of Land Management. So uh, I said, well, that sound made, made sense to me. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was a great, and it was really a, a nice uh, uh, close the circle because Reagan, he came in at the height of the crazy Carter, and we thought Carter was crazy. Now we see Joe Biden. But uh, Carter was terrible on energy, and it was putting us in a terrible mess, the mess we, we you see ourselves in today. And Reagan said, it had a simple answer for it, it was, we drill. We drill on federal lands. What, what are you afraid of, Jimmy Carter? Why are you afraid to drill and find this oil? Because we know it's there. And he started the whole process toward energy independence. And then, I, and then uh, President Trump, he closed the, closed the loop. And in between, we had the fracking revolution that took place all across the country. Uh, all, those, uh, all those shale deposits that were discovered uh, all the way across the country and up into uh, Pennsylvania, New York, and Ohio. Uh, tremendous discoveries. There was a time in the t- early 200 when seven out of every 10 jobs in Pennsylvania was in the oil and gas industry. But left out of that equation were Westerners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't drilling in Wyoming. We weren't drilling in the Permian Basin in New Mexico, which is huge. The Permian Basin is so huge. If we just relied on the Permian Basin, we could supply our, all our energy needs for 200 years, wow. uh, just here in the United States. And so President Trump opened that up, and we achieved energy independence in July of 2019, first time since 1957. Wow. And now, of course, we've, uh, we've gone the other direction under Biden. Yeah. Insane. Insane. Yeah. You know, Bureau of Land Management, I got to tell you, when, you know, of course, I, I lived uh, a good majority of my life in Western states. And, you know, as a kid, you don't really understand that most of that land is, is locked up. And my first experience with the Bureau of Land Management and really understanding who they were was with their militarization at Bundy Ranch mm-hmm. in 2014. And I was like, wait, they, they manage lands and, and they've got all these guns pointed at these protesters? What's, what's going on here? And it kind of made me stop and, and look a little bit further into the issue and and you start seeing a lot of those things like, you know, of course, pre-Trump, we had it to where essentially the land was locked. You couldn't do anything with it. And I think even now there's there's still a lot of issues with that. But you look at it in like a state like Idaho where it's 60 percent tied up with the Bureau of Land Management. And you think, my goodness, you know, there's there's so many resources there. Oh, yeah. And we're so federal government reliant as a state i mean as far as our budget goes if we could just unlock those resources and well, utilize them. Uh, that that was uh, that's what reagan wanted to do uh and that's what president trump wanted to do and we largely succeeded you know uh president reagan neither president reagan nor president trump got to decide what you can do with federal lands that's decided by congress 
Mm-hmm. Congress writes the laws. And in 1920, for example, Congress wrote the uh, Mineral Leasing Act of 1920 and said, you shall drill for oil and gas on these lands. You shall have sales quarterly, four times a year. You shall have sales on Bureau of Land Management land uh, that's available for, for that activity, that multiple-use activity. Uh, multiple use is enshrined in our federal statutes by Congress. And so if you got ore there, you got oil and gas there, you got shale there, if it's good recreation, it's good wilderness, I mean, whatever it happens to be, then you're, you're, if it's grazing land, uh, you're going to use it for that purpose. And so when we came in under President Trump, he said, hey, Congress writes the laws, we're just going to obey the law. And the law says we're supposed to have these oil and gas sales. Obama refused to do them for eight years. He got sued. He refused to do them just like uh, Joe Biden has done. And we said, hey, Congress has decided this. We're going to open it up. And we had the largest BLM land sale in 2018, in November 2018, the largest BLM oil and gas sale in history. It was in the Permian Basin. Now, that's New Mexico and Texas. The part in Texas is primarily private. The part in New Mexico is primarily federal. Uh, it's a tremendous resource. And we had the biggest sale ever, and that's led us into energy independence. But the Congress, does, Congress calls these shots. In October 2019, I, I was at a, a, a meeting of an outfit called the Society for Environmental Journalists, uh, which is an oxymoron. You know, you you know, you you pick your poison. You're a journalist or you're an environmentalist. You know, you're not both. And I gave a speech, and a Washington Post reporter was the moderator. And she asked the question, all the Democratic candidates for president want to leave this uh, oil and gas in the land. They want to lock it up, uh, leave it leave it in the ground. And so what do you, panel, what do you think about that? So I raised my hand and I said, that's totally asinine. Uh, you can't imagine a more stupid thing to do because it's so valuable to the American people and especially to Westerners of the Gulf Coast. Uh, it's huge in Louisiana. Uh, but I said, go ahead and try it. Go ahead and try it. Let's put it up for a vote. Well, that's the crazy thing about Biden. He didn't put it up for a vote. He just simply said, we're not going to drill and stopped. And Congress pathetically has been absolutely mum about it. Or, you know, pound their table every once in a while when Secretary Halen comes up. But, you know, a federal judge ruled against it in June. That's how quick it took from January, uh, January 2021 when Biden did this Till June of 2021, the judge ruled against it, said that's illegal. You can't do it. The government appeals it. They still haven't had a sale. You, you have to go back to Harry Truman to find a time when an administration leased less land. And the only reason Truman works is simply because there was no offshore oil and gas program in, 19, in the 1940s. And so, of course, Truman wasn't leasing anything because he didn't have the OCS. Wow. So what's the common sense in trying to lock up a big bunch of federal land or shut down those things? In, in my mind, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a simpleton, but the more independent America is right. to other countries, the more, you know, the more independent we are, the more power we have, I guess. And the more reliant we're on ourselves versus another country or, and that also helps keep prices reasonable right. for, for Americans. Well, th- that's absolutely the case. And that, that was Reagan's view. Yeah, we had three problems under Jimmy Carter when Reagan was running against Carter. Number, number one, we had a terrible economy. Number two, we had energy shortages. So we had gas lines. And number three, we had a perilous, a perilous geopolitical situation. And Reagan's view was if we developed energy on federal lands using new technologies from wildcatters, and those aren't the big oil and gas companies. These are, you know, mom and pop operations out there that think, hey, I got a better idea. I think I can find oil. Uh, if we did all that, it'd solve all three problems. We would have energy in abundance, our economy would revive, and we'd have the power to simply say to foreign countries, we're going to do what's in our interest. We're not beholden to you. We don't have to scratch our heads and say, oh, uh, gosh, this is going to make them mad and we need their oil. Right. Or worse yet, as a Marine and as a father of an active duty Marine, we're not going to be sending Marines overseas because we need to protect our oil supply. That's the common sense reason. Yeah, yeah. The power and independence. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's the thing that happened when under President Trump we achieved uh, we achieved energy independence because our geopolitical position strengthened. We, we were able to say, as the president said, what are we doing in Syria? 
Yeah. Uh, what are we doing in these foreign countries? Uh, let's put an end to this stuff. And uh, uh, that's the common sense answer. And, and so you, here you have a president, uh, President Biden. He stops oil and gas development on our federal lands, on the public lands, uh, and, and essentially throughout the country, because essentially what he's saying to even people who are drilling on private land and state lines, he's saying to them, I'm trying to drive you out of business. I'm trying to make it impossible for you to achieve, uh, get the money you need. And I'm passing regulations. I'm adopting regulations that will drive you out of business. Um, and so what does that make us do? Well, before the, before the Ukraine war, we're going to Russia. We're going to Venezuela. We're going to Iran. Uh, we're going to all these bad countries and saying, can we have, can we have some of your energy? And, of course, our, our standing in the world today is so bad that the Saudis are just thumbing their nose at us. Yeah. I mean, have you, the Chinese won't even return a phone call. Yeah. Have you seen uh, those prank videos where somebody is sitting at a table and somebody's at another and they pull out, you know, out of their bag a giant straw to try and sip out of the other person's cup? It's a it's a joke thing where people have these long straws that they and they're trying to get a drink of somebody else's drink instead of drinking what's in front of them. And I think that's the perfect analogy. And, you know, it's it's really crazy because I remember when President Trump was president, us talking about, hey, we're, we're at a record point where we're not reliant on other governments as far as our energy and gas and oil goes. We're at a place where we can be self-sufficient, which is where we should be. And it's kind of like, again, you know, looking at this administration, I remember when we had the the midterms and Joe Biden was contacting the Saudis and they released him. He was begging them to essentially hold the price at what it was just until after the election. Absolutely. And well, it's and, insane. And, and, and they're doing this for... To, to give you answer, Sarah, answer your common sense question, there there is no common sense answer. Uh, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana had uh, somebody from the administration up, and he said, "Okay, you're spending fifteen trillion dollars or fifty billion dollars. Uh, uh, what what kind of temperature change do you think you'll achieve with all this money that we're spending on climate change?" And the guy didn't have an answer because there is no answer. Yeah. There, there is not definable. It's not ascertainable. Uh, the, the common sense answer is drill for energy in this country. What's the downside to drilling for energy in this country? There is no downside except climate change, which they can't define. It's sort of like their position. But climate change doesn't happen in other countries. What's that? Climate change doesn't happen in other countries. Oh, but, but I mean, no, you know, it's energy a, it, has to come from somewhere. Well, it's no, but their, their position <laughs> is it's, it's a world situation. That's why you have that uh, gigolo John Kerry going around to various countries uh, to, to get them to come aboard on this crazy climate change thing. But then they'll have thing. to shut down and their oil, well, oil. Well, 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 and the Chinese are not. They're building a coal-fired power plant a week yeah. in China because they realize that's that's their future. They're not going to have So we're going to be dependent upon China then, apparently, here in the future. Well, we near already future. are. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but we don't have to be. COVID taught us that. Well, well we don't have to be. We don't we have, have to be. We absolutely but we will don't be, well, have at least to, while Biden's in office. As long as Biden's in office, yes. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, it's frustrating. It's very disturbing to see these senators and members of Congress. They get on, back when Tucker was on Fox, and they'd get on Tucker or they'd get on Laura, they'd get on Sean, and they'd pound their chest and talk about this or that other thing they were going to do. And in my view, they've been ineffectual. They haven't got anything accomplished. Some of these people, some of these people need to be impeached. Uh, they're... It's, it's not just that they're incompetent, they're affirmative action hires, and therefore they are per se incompetent because they don't have the expertise, they don't have the knowledge. You look at the Secretary of Treasury, the Secretary of the Interior, the Secretary of Treasury, uh, they're all idiots, they're all incompetent, they can't, uh, they can't form a sentence, mm -hmm. uh, let alone run their operation. And, uh, and uh, why are they still in those positions? And when you look at the confirmation vote, uh, Confirmation vote for, uh, for Secretary of the Interior was 50 to 41 with nine uh, not voting. Uh, they all knew she was an affirmative action hire who was incompetent and, and an ideologue who was committed to Bison, Biden's crazy policies. And they Just a yes person. And they, they put her in anyway. Yeah. Insane. Can you tell me a little bit about the Keystone Pipeline? And if, if that was, I mean, if that could be something that was reenacted, how that would affect America. I mean, could it be reenacted? Like, let's just, let's play uh, genie in a bottle. If, if Trump was reelected this right. next go around, 
and that could be restarted. Could that make things better? Oh, of course it could. Of course it could. Because, because immediately, I mean, I was running the Bureau of Land Management when they crossed into the United States, when they crossed the Canadian border into Montana. I was on the phone with the state director, and he said, you know, it was a very exciting moment for us. And then Biden comes in almost the first day, if not the first week, uh, shuts it all down. And now, now they're backfilling and uh, the administration is saying, yeah, my bad. Uh, uh, that was 11,000 jobs or whatever the number is. Uh, I, I think the company that did it is suing the United States for welching on the deal. Mm. Uh, I imagine, you know, I imagine that uh, it could be put back together again. I imagine the economics still work, but uh, that's, that's a great example of it uh, because it's, you know, it worked for us. It worked for the Canadians. Uh, we've got pipelines all across the country. And of course, you know, every once in a while, you'll read of a, some, a train wreck up, you know, bringing, bringing those supplies into the United States by train instead of by pipeline. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. So it's all, coming here. It's just not coming via the pipeline. Looks like it. Yeah. And the, and the, and the tens of thousands of jobs that would have been, uh, would have been created. Uh, we got a situation uh, here in Idaho right now with this uh, a wind project that everybody in mm -hmm. Idaho hates. Uh, it's it just it's terrible. I saw Secretary Halen. She was uh, before the committee. One of your senators was questioning her, and she kept talking about all the meetings she's having. She's having all these meetings. She's having all these meetings. And so he said three times in a row, "What did you learn? What did you learn? What did you learn?" And she didn't have an answer. Mm. Well, there uses of BLM land, different uses. This, this is a good use, really? And uh, wind power never makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you look at Texas, uh, drank the Kool-Aid a couple of years ago, and that had, had that terrible cold, cold snap down there and all the windmills shut down. Texas, Yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, not quite the birthplace of the American oil and gas industry, but, you know, it's, a, it's adopted hometown. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I do want to come back to the turbines as well when we come back. So we'll be right back with you. Listen, when it comes to buying or selling a house, this is an important decision. And that's why it's important that you have somebody by your side that you can trust. Somebody who will be honest with you and tell you, hey, even if it doesn't benefit them, they'll say, hey, right now is not the time to buy or hey, right now is not the time to sell. You want somebody who will advocate for you and be in your corner. That's why here at What's Happening Idaho, we recommend one realtor and that is Dominic Brandon with Remax. Dominic has been a phenomenal supporter of conservative ideology. He's been in the fight and really he's, he's dedicated a lot of his time and efforts into helping us absolutely he was out on the road putting out signs and doing everything <laughs> from running for pc to yeah he's definitely in our corner for liberty dominic again is just a phenomenal guy he walks the walk he is pc as you said he open carries a remax gun when he shows houses which is one. great yep. and he also specializes in bringing people from california to idaho he is licensed in both states and most of his work that he does is referral based no i love i love idaho and i've been selling real estate for 13 years and licensed in a couple states and got really involved with the conservative movement with a bunch of patriots here and you guys included being really important ones in that but just love the cause love what you guys are doing and i'm so grateful i can help you guys get this message out farther to the people of idaho we so, appreciate it yeah. and we want to support you as well dominic if people want to reach you about buying or selling their home how can they best contact you best way is to shoot me a text or give me a call at 208-559-5007 and you can hit my personal website also it's www www.idahomove.com altogether Idaho Move uh, idahomove.com to hit me on the web this episode is brought to you by Faith Outdoors Faith Outdoors is more than a gun store it is an education hub spot whether you are a first time gun buyer an experienced shooter or a long range shooter Faith Outdoors can help you find what you need to be as efficient as possible their staff is some of the most experienced in the Treasure Valley and is made up of retired law enforcement officers and firefighters Faith Outdoors also is an official dealer of Benchmade knives. Everything sold in-store are items they recommend and use out in the field. So go visit them today, 2200 Cortland Place in Nampa, Idaho. And you know what I love about Mandy and Nate? Their whole family, they're prayer warriors. So if you need prayer, they are happy to pray for you. Just email them at info at faithoutdoorsid.com. All right, we're back. So where we left off was we were talking about the turbines. I actually just saw a video, and this is why I really wanted to come back to this. 
I just saw a video where a bald eagle was actually killed by one of those wind turbines. And one thing that always stuck with me was the amount of oil that those actually require. Like the whole purpose is like, hey, you know, we're we're putting these up to be, you know, given alternate energy that's not going to require fossil fuels. But if you actually look at how much oil those machines require, it's it's almost pointless. So it's it, it seems to me. And, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but uh, it seems to me that it's almost a lot of these environmental things are really just shifts into how can we get more money out of, you know, these these required fields that people require, right? We require the ability to transport ourselves uh, and goods. We require having it to where we have energy and electricity in our houses and different things like that. A lot of it seems like a scam to me and, and just a way to further get money. Yeah. The money siphon scam. It's the straw. Yeah. 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 Do you know, do you know anything as far as the wind turbines? Just, um, are they effective at all? Well, I don't think, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm a lawyer. Uh, and, and, and I know that the only thing that has made them work is the heavy subsi- uh, subsidies that are poured into them by the United States government. And decades ago, it was supposed to be short term. We're all going to, this will only be for a few years, let these things get started up and then, then they'll be able to compete. Well, they can't compete. They simply cannot compete. And you need, you, you need a backup to all these things, whether it's wind power or solar power, you're going to need a backup and it's going to, is it going to be coal or it's going to be natural gas, whatever it is. Uh, it, and it's a scam. It's, uh, you know, so, some people are getting incredibly rich because of it. Uh, and the crazy thing is all the shelf life on these turbines is very, very limited. Uh, they're not, not efficacious when they're in play. Um, and, and, and then they require a tremendous amount of minerals uh, to, to put them online. And they are minerals that we're not mining here. Uh, the Biden administration just sh- shut down a huge mine, prospective mine, in Minnesota over the objections of the people in northern Minnesota. And we're On mining. On what basis? What's that? On what basis? Environmental. It's uh, bad for the environment. Uh, it threatens some endangered nat- species. Well, no, it's a national park that's nearby Lake. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, uh, park nearby, and uh, it, it might hurt the park. Um, how, we have, what's I mean, what it, how are they saying it's going to hurt the park? Well, because uh, mining is destructive and bad things will get into the water. And we, we have the most stringent environmental laws yeah. in the world when it comes to mining. Nobody does it better than the United States, and yet we, we can't allow it. And instead, we're having a little, uh, as far as cobalt is concerned, we're having little uh, toddlers, a little more than toddlers crawling around in the dirt, digging the cobalt we need to feel good about our electric cars. Mm. So th- that's the, incra- the crazy part. We have oil and gas in abundance here. Uh, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter said in 1977 that by 1990, we will have, we will run out of natural gas. Uh, he was wrong about that, wrong so, about so many other things. And now of course we have a glut in natural gas. Uh, uh, who, who knows what the end is because of the greatest, uh, the greatest resource is American creativity and ingenuity, human creativity and ingenuity. Uh, all these problems that we thought would uh, uh, vex us and, oh, gee, would leave us scratching our heads and wondering how in the world we get around them. Uh, our ingenuity and creativity, we found answers. And, and that's the answer on oil and gas. The shale revolution changed everything in this country. In 2012, a man named Harold Hamm, who started out a poor kid dragging garbage away from oil and gas operations, uh, he unlocked the Bakken, the Bakken in North Dakota. He discovered how to use hydraulic fracturing to get all the energy out of the Bakken. And he had, in 2012, he had a meeting with President Obama. And he, he said, President, Mr. President, I want you to realize the incredible technological advances being made today by the oil and gas industry. It's absolutely mind boggling what it is able to do. And Obama, as he does, he just waved his hand. He said, well, in five years, we'll have a battery to replace all that. That was 2012, 2017 came and went, no battery, you know, but we're going to stop anyway. Uh, that, so, you know, Tara, earlier you talked about common sense. 
doesn't make sense at all uh, unless you drink the Kool-Aid of uh, climate change mm-hmm. or paying off big donors. Yeah. I actually have kind of a funny story. I just have to stop as we're talking about uh, climate change. So I pulled up to my kid's school the other day, and I was sitting, I had I had to wait for a minute, and the, one of my kid's teachers comes out, and she's like, I just want to let you know, before your kids come home, I am not teaching your children about climate change. Because somehow the discussion came up in class, and they were talking about, you know, that the earth gets warm, the earth gets cold. And my daughter was like, yeah, my dad says that climate change is a scam. And so, <laughs> so anyway, the teacher had said this to me and I said, I, I had to laugh because I was like, and I go, I would be the parent that you would probably be most worried about if my daughter came home and said, my teacher taught me about climate change. So I'm sorry, just a personal story as we're talking about no, climate no. change and it's just the scam. And you, you know, we talk about the scam and and even common sense, you see all these um, celebrities and they're flying on their private jets mm-hmm to was it Sweden or wherever they go to talk about these issues right. about climate change. But, you know, we have Zoom nowadays. We don't have to fly. I mean, if you really are principled, if you exactly. really truly believe, truly believe and are invested in this idea of climate change, you know what I mean? Like there's many things. You, so it, it, I just see a lot of, um, it's just like you said, it's like a scam. It's just a scam. Rules Everyone who's for thee talking and not about for it, me. Everyone who's talking about isn't really applying principles of what could you know it's everybody else yeah you're talking yeah. about the world economic forum you that need to walk josh you need to walk to work i you know I what i will say this having babies. i need to walk to work that is not a lie <laughs> well and i need to stop having babies apparently right because my foot every time i have a baby there goes the footprint of america oh, exactly. or the world uh, exactly. so, that's, anyway. that's what aoc says many of us are worried about uh, should we have children because of the terrible state of the uh, of the world i know what well, kind of world uh, have i brought my children into exactly yeah, well if uh, if obama believed climate change why would he buy that uh, monstrosity of a of a home on martha's vineyard knowing mm-hmm. that if all these well, predictions turn are the in, lights on well, it's not you the know. lights. He's going to be underwater. <laughs> I mean, oh, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. He'll be flooded out. Oh, it yeah. Had to, had, had to bring it, bring pump, it. He'll have the water pumped out. You know, I'm <laughs> sure of it. Yeah, maybe he's got a raft built into his house where it'll lift up the the property. Oh, yeah, like hydraulics yeah. or something. Yes. Yeah, just, yeah, something. it just lifts up every yeah so often. Okay. Yeah, right. you know what's funny about it is, is it all it is these people who do need to get out and touch the grass. Really, that's what these people need to do. These elected officials who are making these decisions on our life, the people who meet at the World Economic Forum in Davos. You know, Klaus Schwab, you know, you'll own nothing and yeah, you'll love happy. it. You'll, you'll be eat happy. The bugs. Yeah. We'll eat the eat bugs, the bugs and, all yeah. that. You know, it's it's these people, they need to get out and touch grass. Some of them need to get punched in the well, face. I'll say that. Sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and how do you, how do you give somebody common sense? Well, it's, it's like, look at California, You just drink right? the Kool-Aid, right? Cause once you start drinking the Kool-Aid, it's just like, it's you're you're just a, I mean, you were talking about on, on the, um, the YouTube interview, it was like everybody, they'll jump on the abortion issue and everybody across the board will agree and stay and say on that uh, uh, and st- the left will stay on their, their lane when well, it comes to green. That's the remarkable thing about the Biden administration. In my view is that they, they, they call it, Biden calls it a whole of government approach. And it doesn't matter if you're a cabinet secretary, it doesn't matter what your uh, portfolio is. Uh, secretary of treasury, you think she'd be worried about the economy, but no, she's speaking about abortion. Right. Why is the Secretary of Treasury speaking about abortion? And of course, she makes this crazy argument that well, it'll help the economy if uh, mothers uh, are able to have uh, more abortions. Uh, but it's just the nature of the the way the Biden approach is that they're all they're all on the same page, uh, and so they're they're not working on their issues like transportation, making sure we have the supply chain dealt with. Uh, but they're dealing with whatever the talking point of the day is uh, from the podium at the White House. Mm-hmm. The crazy talking point of the crazy day. Crazy talking points from the White House. Yeah. It's insane. The The whole thing is, uh, I do want to say this. If you are listening and you don't have kids, go get married. Find Jesus Christ if you haven't found Make him. Babies. And have tons of kids. <laughs> it's it's a real issue. I know, I know that that has little to do with what you're here for, but any chance I can, I need to encourage people. You should have at least three to four kids. I'll say that because I look at what's happening in Japan right now, they're at a point where they are, their birth rate is so low that they are in the very near future going to have more adults in diapers than children. Mm. 
and who's, who's going to be there to take care of them. Yeah, it's 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 a real scary thing when you look at it. It's funny. It used to be where it was, you know, only you know poor people having kids. You know, the rich people were like, we're not going to have a bunch of kids. We're worried about overpopulation. And now it's almost a flip. A lot of really wealthy people are like, we've got to start having kids. Elon Musk has a ton. You know, just as an example, and he talks about the the birth rate declining in the United States as well. Well, it, it goes all the way. It goes back to the 60s and the craziness came out of the 60s. This guy, Paul Ehrlich, who's a butterfly specialist. I mean, he was the guy writing about the population bomb and scaring everybody to death and saying, we're going to have overpopulation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it's going to destroy, destroy the planet. Uh, some of the early, uh, some of the early environmentalists, uh, were, were deep into that whole thing. Uh, with uh, the bad things happening to the planet because of uh, too many people. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, incredibly enough, Paul Ehrlich still gets quoted today on climate change. Uh, years ago, I debated an environmentalist on a TV show in, in Colorado, and uh, she was running on. And, and, and at that time, it was climate uh, global warming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, ma'am, I said, do you realize uh, that these experts you're quoting uh, not so long ago were predicting global cooling on such a massive scale. We could not grow the crops necessary to feed the people. And she paused for a second and she said, well, it'll be something. <laughs> yeah, 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 it will be something. Yeah, so, it will be something. <laughs> so that's, that's why we, we shifted from global cooling to global warming to climate change. Right. And, you know, it, yeah. it, it, climate it, change helps bring it all in. Yeah. I do want to say, um, also, and this is why, and I just want to get this last little piece in. Another reason you should have kids is if you look at Germany and what they did, Germany was having a, a low birth rate. So what they decided to do was they said, okay, well, we're going to need people to take care of us. We're going to backfill with immigrants from third world countries. Well, that's and that's what they did. Uh, and there's uh, a large, very large population of, of immigrants from third world countries now living in Germany. And the thought was, is that these people in third world countries, they have four, five, six kids. So that'll help increase the birthing rate and increase the German economy. What they found is that those immigrants, when they come to Germany, they stop having so many kids. Mm. And I think a lot of it, I mean, I don't, I actually have no idea what it is, but we, I, I do think we see that if you put people in a position where you are taking care of them supplementally. Uh, and having it where they rely on the government, uh, for some reason the uh, the birth rate goes down. Mm. So can't rely on can't can't just import more babies into <laughs> to take care of the world. Well, we have a we have an obligation to protect our country. Yeah, um, and that's that's one of the things that's in the Constitution uh, that we protect uh, from invasion, and that's what we have today on our southern border. We have an invasion. When I was running the Bureau of Land Management for President Trump, uh, I, I, I wanted to be part of the effort to put those wall, the wall up. But my job at the Bureau of Land Management was to take care of the Bureau of Land Management's land yeah. that it held in trust for the public. And some of that land is right on the border. And some of that land is classified, people in Idaho understand this, classified as a wilderness area. And a wilderness area, by statute, says that it's uh, set apart, it's unique, it's pristine, we keep it that way. A man is a visitor who does not remain. That's the nature of those lands. And yet, uh, we have a 17,000-acre wilderness near San Diego, right on the Mexican border, though essentially uh, a thoroughfare for these illegals. I stood on the border and watched taxi cab after taxi cab come to a safe house in Mexico and drop off that night's convoy. And that night when the sun went down, all those people who had been dropped off went through that, that pristine wilderness area. And if they got lost, they'll set up a fire or they got uh, too hot, they'll drop their clothes behind and make a mess. Um, and, you know, 17,000 acres, as people in Idaho know, can go up in a heartbeat, you know, just, to, yeah. just like that. And uh, so we put the wall up there simply to protect those lands. Uh, but we ought to have that wall all the way across. We ought to be stopping this immigration, the terrible things uh, we're seeing in, in El Paso and everywhere. And now what every state is discovering, every state is a border state. Yeah. Because these people are ending up 
uh, even up in Montana, the mm -hmm. governor in Montana, Forte is talking about, uh, you know, we're, we're having that fentanyl stuff coming up in here, coming up in, in Montana. It's, we're not safe. It's bad. I mean, and here's the thing that people don't realize. And, and this is something that kind of shocked a lot of people. And of course, this isn't the, the everyday case, but when I was covering the border, you go up and you're asking people where they're from. Donde of us, right? Where are you from? Where are you from? Nobody that I interviewed was from Mexico. They were all from Dominican Republic, Venezuela, El Salvador, Guatemala. You get people from India coming through there. You get people from Eastern Europe. Uh, right now, I have, I'm friends with um, Michael Yon. He's a famous war reporter. He's been reporting on more wars, like in, in battle zones than anybody else, uh, former special forces. But he's covering the Darien Gap right now, which is where everybody comes through, and that's Colombia, and I believe it's Panama. I think so. Don't quote me on that, but I'm 90% sure. And there's essentially, you could drive from North America all the way from the tippity top, all the way down to the very bottom of South America, if it wasn't for what's called the Daring Gap. And that is 90 miles of jungle uh, that separates these two countries. So um, he's covering it down there, and he actually was interviewing a lot of people. And, and a lot of people that were coming through, like in droves, were males, uh, Fighting H from the CCP. It's insane. So it is one of those things. Look, you know, at the end of the day, we we do have to. And, I, and I've said this for a while, you know, kind of harping on the border thing. The most humane thing we can do is secure our border. Because what happens when I was there during winter, uh, you drive around at night and you hear babies crying because they're sleeping on the streets with a tiny Red Cross blanket. And it's like, you know, I sit here and I'm like, if we just discouraged people from trying to come here, these parents wouldn't put their children in those situations. Also, of course, the, the drug trafficking, the human trafficking mm -hmm. is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of there's, there's trees uh, on the Mexico America border that are rape trees where underwear is thrown up and it's, it's, it's sick because it's, you're still looking good. I'm still feeling good. You know, I've got all your MyPillow products. Mattress topper, bed sheets, MyPillows, towels, slippers, blankets, sleepwear. Dog whoa, bed. whoa, Charles. Everyone now can get MyPillow products at huge discounts at MyPillow.com. That's right. Now's the time to go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to take advantage of our three-in-one sale. We're bringing you exciting new products, overstock specials, and closeout deals you won't find anywhere else. For example, when you buy one of our brand new MyPillow 2.0s, you get another one absolutely free. And with our overstock sale, you save 50% on our luxurious Giza Dream bed sheets. That's as low as $29.99 for the best sheets ever. And with our biggest closeout special, you get our all-season slippers for only $35 or our sandals and slides for just $25. Quantities are limited, and once they're gone, they're gone. It's not only is it sick because it's women, but it's sick because it's also little girls. And, and again, the solution has to be is you can't, there's always going to be that criminal element, but we need to do everything we can to deter families who may think that there is safe passage coming here. We need to deter them from wanting to leave their home and come here and, and the people who are trying to seek, you know, refugee status, they're not even following the law because if they did, it's the first safe country you come to. And Mexico is, is that for many of them. Mm. And they have a whole process where they can get refugee status in Mexico. So it's a big thing. First job of government, protect our borders. Yeah. Protect the American people. And uh, Biden administration uh, refuses to do it. Yeah. But um, when you took over the Bureau of Land Management, what was like the one thing that really shocked you? Was there anything that stuck out that maybe you didn't expect and just kind of blew your mind? Well, I, I think the major thing uh, was the lack of support that I got from the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, office of Management and Budget is that uh, office of the President of the United States uh, that essentially is the thorough, is the central point for all budget items, all appropriations, all regulations, essentially a clearinghouse for the president to make sure we're all on the same page. 
And in my experience with the Reagan administration, my experience with the Trump administration was they were not on the same page. And I would deal with these OMB people and we would get to an end of a, a very unpleasant meeting. And I'd say, I can't believe you people are working for the same president because as far as I'm concerned, you're not. <laughs> and, you know, 40 years later, I come back and same experience. And I'm, I told these people, of course, different cast of characters. I said, uh, well, I'm glad to see the OMB hasn't changed. And it's a frequent thing that you hear. And it's, you know, one of the things a new president's going to have to take care of when uh, they come in, uh, they got a clean house there. Uh, my, my boss, uh, secretary, David Bernhardt has a new book out called you report to me. And it's about his experience over essentially 20 years in and around the department of the interior. Uh, and he echoed the same issue, uh, about the need to, uh, exert control of these bureaucracies to ensure that hey, American people voted for a new president of the United States and that president has his people or her people in, in the, and, and these people uh, deserve to be saluted and essentially how high, sir. Uh, at the same time that we expect the career bureaucrats to obey the law and to do their job faithfully in accordance with the law that's passed. But most of them, they got a private agenda, personal agenda. And uh, it, it was frustrating dealing with the Office of Management budget. That was a big surprise. In a way, it wasn't because I had that experience with Reagan, but I thought somebody would have fixed it, but nobody did. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of people in government were working against Donald Trump as well. So I wonder, I wonder how much of that was, hey, they haven't fixed it, versus we actively oppose Trump and we're going to do everything we can to... Well, the recent surveys show, of course, we know this, uh, two to one Democrats in the civil service uh, among the senior civil servants is three to one Democrats. Uh, but I, I think, I think the mainstream media or the corporate media, whatever you want to call it, uh, really essentially, and, 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 and uh, the militarization of the FBI and these, uh, uh, these uh, surveillance agencies uh, gave uh, gave a license to a lot of people in the bureaucracy might otherwise have said, "Hey, you know, it's a new new group, and I gotta do what the new group wants to do." And I think uh, what we saw, and what Bernhard expresses in his book, and he was there longer than I, and he was there for the entire four years, was there was open rebellion in some circumstances. A lot of them did the right thing with proper leadership at the same time. Uh, for example, we wanted uh, Secretary Zinke wanted to move the Bureau of Land Management out to Grand Junction. And he gave the Bureau of Land Management orders essentially on the first day, come up with a plan, come up with a plan as to how we get this done. Two years later, Bernhardt takes over and he says, okay, folks, where's your plan? Uh, gee, Mr. Secretary, uh, uh, we haven't come up with it yet. So they, they were sitting on their hands for two years, hoping Zinke would forget about it. And Bernhardt comes in and says, I didn't forget about it, get it done. So we, we did get it done. Uh, but instead of having it done for three years or almost four years, it was done just slightly less than two years. And they were able to reverse it, uh, which to, to, to the misfortune of Westerners, because the thing about having the Bureau of Land Management in the West, uh, because 99% of the land's out here, 97% of the employees aren't here, are out here, but the leadership is all in Washington. The people who make all the decisions are there. Bring them out here and make them live here. Mm -hmm. Make them uh, see what their decisions are doing and make them accessible to people who want to, some county commissioner wants to, I, I need to go pound a table and talk to somebody about this because it ain't right. County commissioners can't afford to jump on an airplane and fly to Washington, D.C. to stay a couple of days to see a director. But they can drive to Grand Junction. And that's what I experienced. I, I have to ask, is that how you met Vicki Purdy? Because <laughs> <laughs> I could see her. She's the one. She's the county she's commissioner who would do that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, 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 heard, I, I heard from a lot of them. I had, I had four sheriffs from Utah drive over and see me in, in my final days there. Uh, and they want to talk about law enforcement. And that, that was a huge thing. We, one of the things that happened right after 9-11 was uh, Secretary of Interior happened to be a friend of mine, Gail Norton, Gail Norton Secretary Norton, 
Uh, she asked the IG, the Inspector General, to do a review of law enforcement throughout the huge department, 70,000 employees. And so the IG came up with things that ought to happen. And one of the recommendations was have a direct line of authority. And Sarah, you know this with your husband being in law enforcement, but have a direct chain of command that's all law enforcement from top to bottom. So from cop to cop to cop to cop, all the way to the top, from dealing with a law enforcement officer who understands the job. And the Bureau of Land Management drug his heels, didn't get that done. And essentially law enforcement, uh, the law enforcement rangers and special agents or BLM came to me and said, Mr. Penley, would you get this done? Because we're dying out here. This is terrible. And we have a terrible relationship with local law enforcement, with the troopers, the sheriffs, the deputies, the police uh, that we deal with because we're not credible. And so I got that done. Uh, and uh, four sheriffs came over from Utah to thank me for it. And I said, let me just ask you, if I were in D.C., would you have flown to D.C. to tell me this? <laughs> he says, Perry, absolutely not. We got a rig and we drove over here because it was important to us, but we couldn't have afforded to fly to Washington. And that's the whole thing about having Bureau of Land Management leadership in the West so that people who are affected by its decisions can well, go see leadership. Yeah, and I think um, when you have it more localized, there's less of a disconnect, right? And it's very helpful when you're in those situations or possible, you know, you're, you're in situations where you need to build or have solutions to have personal relationships. Oh, yes. Right, because once those personal relationships are built, like he said, we're not credible. Well, a personal relationship with, you know, someone local would have helped make that credible, right? Because then there's not, you know, I mean, when you look at the Bundy situation, I have a totally different attitude about BLM. I had a neutral one before that, but then when I hear BLM, just that situation. But I, I'm also um, pragmatic enough to know that not every person is like the person, right? Just because you're a police officer and I, sure. I'm arrested at a playground doesn't mean every police officer is like that. But for sure, things happen. But, I mean, I think going back to that there's a disconnect when you've just got a big bunch of bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., and then the little guys over here in the West, right. right? I mean, you have no idea what we're going through. And quite frankly, it's going to feel like you don't even care because you're over here in a nice, you know, it's, it's oak desk. Yeah. It's, it's having people who have touched the grass yeah. exactly. versus having a bureaucrat in D.C. who who may not have even been out West, right. Right. may not even have an idea. Because a lot of times, and you know this, a lot of times appointments are based off of political donations, well, when I, was, when I was in Washington, when my duty station was in D.C., every day we made decisions. And we made decisions based on a piece of paper, a photograph, and a map. That was it. Uh, a photograph, a write-up, and a map. And, you know, we'd look at it, maybe we have a bunch of photographs, but still. But when I was in Grand Junction, and somebody would say, well, this project or that project, I'd say, well, let's go. Let's go there. Yeah. And I'd jump in a government rig and I'd drive and, and, you know, and <laughs> it's totally like touch the grass. It's totally boots on the ground. It's a totally different perspective. Oh, oh, I see now. Yeah. Now I get it. And, and to have the local people involved earlier in the decision instead of, oh my, this is already at the secretary's office. This is already at the deputy secretary's office. We can't reverse this. What well, what's messed up? Well, sorry. Uh, we, we've invested too much time and effort into this. Well, but it was wrongheaded from the beginning. <laughs> so that's the benefit of having, having people out here. And it's just like your Senator from Idaho talking to secretary Halen and, and you know, say, have you looked at this? Do you know what this is going to look like? This is terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A lot, uh, uh, uh I think as Thomas Jefferson said, the government that serves the people best is the government closest to the people. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management and its leadership needs to be out here and not in Washington, DC. Yeah. So then go up to Capitol Hill. Absolutely. Do you have any, uh, final questions? You know, I do have one, one question that's just kind of sitting in my mind a little bit. How in comparison to federal lands and state lands in Idaho, what is the percentage? What's the percentage of federal lands in Idaho? 60% of the state of Idaho is federal. Okay. Federally managed. It's important to make that distinction. They don't own that land. They're managing it. Yeah. And then state land. I don't know. 
I don't know that. Okay. We, we could look it up afterwards and, okay. and maybe we'll put the stat up there. Okay. But that um, was my one little, I'm just trying to imagine Idaho on a map and where, where that, what the pie looks like. Well, and, okay. and, and when you talk about federal lands, you, you've got to talk about, especially uh, in Idaho, you talk about parks, you talk about wildlife refuges, you talk about your uh, reclamation. Uh-huh. Uh, I think we got Corps of Engineers lands in, uh, in Northern Idaho. Some of those uh, water projects in Northern Idaho are Corps of Engineers. So uh, you have military bases, and, and so you have, uh, and in Nevada, for example, you have a lot of Department of Defense properties. So uh, it's not all multiple use, but a large part, uh, the stuff that's uh, run by the Bureau of Land Management, which predominates, is, uh, is multiple use lands. It's supposed to be made available for all sorts of activities. And that's one of the problems with the new Biden pro- uh, proposal that's come out now. Uh, instead of uh, uh, dealing with and uh, conforming to federal statute that Congress wrote as to you're going to graze some stuff, you're going to drill for oil, you're going to find ore, you're going to do all these uh, various things, uh, they're, they're tunnel visioned in on doing only one thing, and that's locking it up uh, to achieve their 30 by 30 goal. Mm-hmm. Now when you say 30 by 30 goal, uh, 30% of the land locked up in, uh, in, in, in non-use, essentially laying fallow by 2030. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's in the United States, 30. in the United States. Yeah. Okay. And, and the crazy thing about that is we, all, we already have a huge portion of American land, all of our national parks. And I think that's 90 million acres, almost under a million acres. Uh, that's a single use that's locked up forever as a pleasuring ground for the American people. But are, they, are they wanting untouched? Untouched land is what you just never oh, yeah, go in. Yeah, you never, you know, like it's, it's like not used. So it's in not other even, words, it's not even single use. No more ranching. We're not going to have no, rating, more no more grazing. Well, okay, I don't maybe. Know about Who knows? That. We'll, we'll work know. up to that. Maybe. We'll, we'll work okay. up to that. You know, we're not going to, certainly not no ore, no, yeah. uh, leave it in the ground, no oil and yeah. gas. Uh, so, yeah, it's all single use, all conservation. You know, let's, let's, and, and the crazy thing is, let's get our energy from somewhere else. Let's get our ores from somewhere else. Why would we do that? Because no common sense. Yeah. Do me a favor, hit that uh, black button, then the red one. Just turned off because we hit 30 minutes. But that's all right. Um, we're going to wrap up with the final question here. Um, we have a final question. I have one more question for you, and then you can leave us with any closing thoughts you want. So, Perry, my final question for you is. Are we running we're, yeah, we're running. Right. Oh, I, I must have restarted. You did. You did great. Um, so my final question for you, and then you can leave us with any closing thoughts that you want, is um, you worked for President Trump, which was awesome. He was the greatest president of my lifetime, at least. Um, my question for you is, he's running again. If and when he does win, uh, if he asks you to run the Bureau of Man- Land Management again, will you do it? Oh, absolutely. Um I, uh, I work, I work for Reagan. I work for Trump. Um, Reagan did great things, but Trump had a bigger job to do. All Reagan had to do was reverse Jimmy Carter. Uh, what Trump had to do was reverse, uh, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and any part of Jimmy Carter that remained. Uh, and unfortunately he didn't have any help, uh, from Bush 41 and Bush 43. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially he was on his own. For example, these national monuments that were designated over the last 21 years, uh, illegally, contrary to statute, as far as I'm concerned, and Bush wouldn't, Bush would didn't fight him. George W. Bush didn't fight him. Uh, uh, President Trump came in and did it immediately. Uh, he put a Westerner on the Supreme Court of the United States. His first appointee was a Westerner. That's huge. That's huge for we Westerners to have Gorsuch on the on the court. And then to his two other appointments were excellent as well. Uh, the Supreme court is on its way to doing great things. No wonder they're going after Clarence Thomas. So, uh, if, if president Trump gets uh, reelected and needs somebody to man the department of the interior, I'm, you know, I'm going to raise my hand, uh, and, uh, go back because, uh, there's a lot of work to do obviously with what Biden, Biden has done. Uh, we got a fight on our hands. I don't think it's just the American West anymore. I think it's, it's the West. Yeah. You know, it's not just the Western U.S. It's it's Western society, Western civilization. Uh, we're uh, in a battle. It's a cultural battle. It's a, uh, a battle uh, for survival, and uh, we got to be fighting it. So 
Yeah. Uh, I appreciate talking to you and uh, you, Sarah, and um, hope folks will follow me on Twitter, um, the Sagebrush Rebel, and uh, got stuff out there and love to get involved and get the word out, help people understand what we're dealing with and what we're fighting for. Amen. Sagebrush Rebel on Twitter. You heard it here. Go follow him. <laughs> And uh, we look forward to seeing you work for Trump again when he gets reelected. That'd so. be great. Thank, thank you, you for your time. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Barry. Thank you, sir.